Hello and welcome to Youth Life Abroad. Cave Post turned 25 this month, so we discuss its important role on the voice of Ukraine throughout the world. We also explore fast food, Crimean style. This and more on Zakhlodonyi Ukrainsi, the podcast for all things Ukrainian. This month, Ukraine's English-language newspaper Kyiv Post celebrated its 25-year anniversary, which is a really big achievement having kept an independent news outlet running in a country that is only ranked 96th in world press freedom. Um, since its inception in 1995, it's had three owners and is currently owned by Adnan Kivan, a Syrian-born owner of Odessa-based company Kador Group. This makes it interesting in that uh, Cave Post is a for-profit organization that is not owned by an oligarch, and it's actually written in their policy that the newspaper will not pass into the hands of any interest, group, oligarch, or politician. Their current motto, Ukraine's Global Voice, reflects this commitment to the highest journalistic and ethical standards. Um, but this motto is fairly recent, as of 2018. And what was the old motto, Andre? So the previous motto was Independence, Community, and Trust. And I think... The main reason why they swapped from this is because uh, the original motto was to help promote Ukrainian independence and like build trust within Ukraine. And I think now uh, Case Post's ambition is to bring Ukraine more into the spotlight on the global stage and to give Ukrainians around the world what's happening in Ukraine, but also to other people who are interested in Ukrainian affairs, really. Yeah, so whilst the paper is Ukraine's global voice in the English media, um, it kind of achieved that in 1997 when the newspaper published its first online article. However, within Ukraine itself, the newspaper has quite a small circulation of about 10,000 copies per issue. And and that's mainly because it aims to only entice like the expat communities living in Ukraine. And this can even be seen in where the company, where you can get the newspaper. So you can only get it really in Kiev, Kharkiv, Dnipro, Odessa, Lviv, which is kind of where all the big businesses are located. And in total, there's only 314 locations across these um, five major cities where you can actually get a Kiev Post newspaper. But even in that, um, Kiev Post has become quite a trusted source of Ukrainian like uh, English language content and um it is uh, referenced by other international media when they refer to Ukrainian issues. Uh, yeah, so over its 25-year um, existence, I remember, Alexi, you were saying earlier before we started recording that um, there was kind of this idea that Kiev Post kind of wouldn't last when it first started. Yeah, because there was um, a lot of other post-Soviet countries established English language media. So you had like one in Prague, one in Warsaw and all that, and a lot of them have failed. Mm, MK Post is, yeah, almost 25 years now. Yeah. So, but it hasn't been easy for them because over the um, this 25-year period, there's been a number of situations um, that have almost uh, threatened its existence. So, there were three main or three big ones. And the first one was when uh, a gas tycoon, Dmitry Fitrash, sued the uh, Kiev Post for defamation in 2010 over an article that they published criticizing uh, cozy ties between uh, business and government in Ukraine. So, in the uh, article that they wrote, they said that 
His efforts to regain possession of 11 billion cubic metres of blue fuel seized from him by Prime Minister Yulia Tymoshenko are again highlighting the ever-present issues of corruption, abuse of power and conflict of interest, this time ahead of the July 2nd visit by Clinton. Now, 2010, this is uh, Hillary Clinton. Uh, repeated attempts to reach Firtash for an interview have been unsuccessful. So that was like the gist of their article where they were talking about, um, you know, there's these issues of corruption and abuse of power and so on in Ukraine. So he ended up suing them in a UK court. And as a result of this, um, Kyiv Post ended up uh, blocking all the traffic from um, the United Kingdom to their website. Um, kind of like in protest of uh, of this, and it ended up being that the case was dismissed. And Kiev Post uh, state wrote in their own article: A London judge on 24th of February dismissed a libel lawsuit filed by Ukrainian billionaire Dmitry Firtash against the Kiev Post, saying that the link to English jurisdiction was tenuous in the extreme. So they ended up winning that, which is uh, fantastic. And um, yeah, but that kind of hit them pretty hard because you know that was a one of these big tycoons in Ukraine going after them f- for what he believed was defamation simply because they were just publishing information about, you know, these troubling ties between government and businesses over there. Yeah, but, I mean, that jurisdiction question really sticks out for me. I mean, yeah. why does England have any bearing on yeah, no, right. the publication of something that's even not even hosted on English servers or anything <laughs> like that. I mean, if someone was to try and sue the New York Times from Australia, I can't imagine how that would even work. Um, so it's a bit of an odd... Is, was there any reasoning for why it was done in the I UK? I think they like the English courts because um, they can't be bribed, but then I would have thought he would have preferred to sue them in Ukraine because he could have fixed the outcome. Unless it was more just like a threat kind of thing to show that he could. Yeah, but maybe it is like as, as we sort of discussed. I mean, this is more of an English mindshare, Western mindshare yeah. for this particular paper. It's all in English. It's not really the local consumption, as you said, is lower than a lot of other mastheads in Ukraine. Maybe it was more about having, you know, maybe he wanted to make sure his name that he was defending his name was actually shown to be defended in the West rather than in Ukraine itself. Hmm. Maybe it was about circulation. Maybe he was trying to do it in an English court and, you to know... discredit it? Not to discredit it, but to, like, blow it up and be like, oh, you know, he, this Ukrainian is trying to sue a Ukrainian newspaper in the English court and then, like, make such a big deal out of it that it would get more traction and make a difference that way. Theory, Andri? I'm not too sure, really, why he would do that. I, I don't really understand it too well. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and it's like you're saying, Eustan, like, their circulation... And like I mentioned earlier, like their circulation is quite small. And even when Kiev Post did try to launch a Ukrainian and Russian language version of their website, it didn't take off and they killed it after a year or two. Yeah, but I, but I, and I think we shouldn't underestimate the importance of the Kiev Post. And I think all this discussion we've had up until now has highlighted some of the achievements over 25 years. But even there's some real simple things about soft power that comes from it. I mean, I think it really has achieved its goal of becoming an authority in Eastern Europe around news. It's an authority that can be relied upon, um, probably with Radio Liberty as being the other example about Ukrainian news in kind of a, I guess, uh, you know, probably less propaganda um, biased kind of opinion. But the other part of it that's really powerful is just even the name, even the fact that it's spelt with a Y. Um, I've often followed um, the Wikipedia page for Kiev for a very long time, and it has stayed as K-I-E-V 
since the very inception, I guess, of, you know, of, of Wikipedia. And every time that there's a motion to move it to the spelling of KYIV as the first return, because that's the spelling that's asked, um, there's always a bit of a, a pushback and then it, there's a moratorium on the debate of that. So there's a few years where we can't debate it anymore. But recently it actually has changed. And one of the things you see in some of those comments is reference and citing to things like, well, yes, the government calls Kiev or spells Kiev KYIV, but it's also looking at mastheads like Kiev Post as an example of that. And it's actually referenced directly. So I think all these things really do do add up to helping Ukraine have its own voice um, you know, in the world, not just in Ukraine. On your point, you said about Kiev Post being a very important window uh, into Ukraine for the world. Um, a Moscow-based AGT communications company found that Cave Post is the most quoted Ukrainian source of news by American and European news organizations and the second most quoted in Ukraine and Russia. And, and I think the important thing there is that it's, it's, a, a, it's the most quoted and it's from Ukraine because as a lot of us who follow Ukrainian news will know, um, often, um, especially obviously in the early days of independence, a lot of the news that came out of Eastern Europe would come out of a Moscow bureau for most Western media outlets. But even today, when you look at a lot of articles uh, that talk about Ukraine, so often for all of our kind of, um, I guess, Western media, they do end up coming from Moscow, Moscow, unfortunately. So supporting Kiev Post um, is really important because it does provide a voice on the ground. And if nothing else, allows for gener- a new generation of Ukrainian journalists to you know, develop their own style and tell their own story. Yeah, and they'll learn, like newspapers and other media organizations will only send correspondence to Ukraine when it's like a major event that's ongoing. Yeah, so that was their first big, um, I say, the big issue that's um, happened. But then the second one came in 2011, so not long after, uh, when there was sustained pressure from the government to soften the Kiev Post's coverage of um, Viktor Yanukovych. And this ended up uh, climaxing when the uh, editor for Kiev Post, Brian Bonner, ended up being dismissed. And uh, Reporters Without Borders, they wrote about this and they said that Reporters Without Borders is outraged to learn that Brian Bonner, the editor of the Ukrainian English language newspaper, the Kiev Post, was fired on the 15th of April, 2011, for disregarding the owner's instructions to kill an interview with the agricultural minister. The Press Freedom Organization stresses that the owners of news media must never try to determine their editorial policies. So this ended up being reversed shortly after, and uh, Bonner was reinstated as the editor for Kiev Post. But that was only after a large portion of the journalists at Kiev Post went on strike um, in protest of this firing. So I guess, you know, you can see that that's when, and I'm sure this happens where there's, there's um, you have political influence into certain media um, companies. You, you can kind of see it in America, I guess, as well, when, you know, some companies are afraid of losing access to certain politicians. But in this case, it was, you know, a bit more harsher than that. And they were trying to kill an interview that they ended up pu- publishing anyway, and the political pressure just became so much that they fired one of their reporters. Um, but it's great the Cave Post, you know, especially the journalists stood up against that and protested that, and ended up getting um, Bonner reinstated. Uh, in more recent times, the um, the Post has had numerous um, offers to be purchased by various uh, businesses uh, within Ukraine, which goes to what Alexa was saying. Uh, sorry which goes to what Brianna was saying about how Kiev Post has largely remained independent um, from business ties in 
Ukraina. Eventually, Cave Post was bought by the Kapoor Group, which has ties in the building and agricultural sector in Ukraina, but it is still, like you were mentioning, it's still foreign owned, which, you know. Yeah, because the current owner is a native Syrian, but he's a permanent resident of Ukraine. Yeah, but it's not a media conglomerate. Yeah, I know. True. It's a very strange ownership for yeah. a newspaper. Um, yeah. But like you were saying in your earlier statement, like the, I think the reason why Kiev Post came under such intense pressure under Yanukovych's regime was because they were, I think, one of the last independent media organizations that existed that weren't under the direct control of Bankova, which is like where the office where the president sits in Ukraine. Yeah. Because, like, you could even see that at the start of Yevromaidan, like, none of the Ukrainian news channels covered it. It was only when the police started attacking students that the media started to swap sides. While yeah. KF Post was one of the few that reported. Yeah, it's amazing it takes something like that to actually get... Media. People to swap sides. Yeah, to get people to swap sides. But, um, I don't know, I'd say it's been a good 25 years so far. and Many more to come. Yeah, I hope so. And really, guys, if you haven't ever gone on Kiev Post's website, I really encourage you to do so. It's There's some really good information. It's obviously high-quality journalism. It's all in English. Um, so there's the ability to really read And they've got good things. Um, yeah. political satire. Like, they've got good cartoons that, like, summarise, like, funny events in politics or, like, the hilariousness of Ukrainian politics. Indeed, yeah. There is a fantastic YouTube video that demonstrates how creative the people of Crimea have been in bypassing sanctions to ensure that some form of international brands still exist in Crimea, which means... It's time for silly separatists. So we all know the famous companies like CFC, Don Mark, uh, Mirburger, Burger House, Star Duck, Star Max, all the famous companies from Crimea. So why do these exist? Because Crimea has been sanctioned by the international community since Russia's occupation in 2014. And as a result, no Western food chains exist there. So they've come up with their own classics. You mean they don't have McDonald's? No, no McDonald's. No McDonald's, no KFC, no Starbucks, no Apple, no Google Play, no nothing. Yeah, so it's all pretty much closed off for them there. It's like North Korea for themselves, really. <laughs> yeah, so th what they've done is they've converted all the old stores. So if there was a KFC, it's now a CFC, Crimean Fried Chicken, because that's what Crimea is obviously famous for. Well, well, it is down south when it comes to Korea, though. <laughs> Southern Chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so all these companies exist in this interesting vacuum of Crimean sanctions. And even like McDonald's, so McDonald's obviously quit the peninsula in 2014 after annexation. So what they've done is they've converted the old restaurants into uh, Mir Burger or World Burger in, in English, if you translate it from the Russian. And But this doesn't even extend to Western companies. Even Russian-based fast food chains don't exist in Crimea. Why is that? Oh, well... I think one of the main reasons why is because if they're operating within Crimea, they're going to get sanctioned. And then because they're sanctioned, it just makes life a lot harder for them. So 
a good example of like a legit copy and paste is uh, Russia's Dodo Pizza to Crimean Lolo, uh, Lolo Pizza. So um, their website is almost identical, like all the coloring, all the like, I'm pretty sure the burgers are just named differently, but they're pretty much all the same. No, the pizza's the same. Oh, the pizza's all the same. Yeah. So everything's all the same except um, just a couple little things here and there just to distinguish itself from its actual, like, what the actual company is. So they did go to the effort to register a separate phone number for it. So they've put some thought into it. <laughs> no, I was, just, I was just curious. Like, does that mean that they actually are legally tieable back to the original companies or are they completely no, separate entities? No, they're pretty much separate entities. I think... The reason why they've done this is so that they can say, oh, we're not operating in Crimea. Some other company is. You can go sanction them. But like, since they only work in Crimea, it doesn't really matter matter to them. So I know with Dodo Pizza, they have branches in America, China, and I think 10 other countries. So they are like a global brand for Russia. And then they've got their knockoff in Crimea. <laughs> But we assume, right? I mean, is there any evidence or is any, has, been, has there been any investigation like if, look, if they actually are part of... Nothing confirmed, but even if you look at the website, the images they use are the same, the font's the same, the colour schemes are pretty similar. Oh, considering, like, how McDonald's is suing Hungry Jack's for, like, a similar burger, mm-hmm. like, you'd think something similar would be happening to Dodo and Lolo Pizza, right? But nothing's happened, so you can only assume that they have some sort of cooperation between the two. Yeah. At yeah. least. Um, another one I also saw was that uh, Big Macs, they call them Big Foods. So. <laughs> um, so original, right? Yeah, I know, right? But even though these large corporations aren't actually selling their um, products through like their official channels, um, things like iPhones, Apple computers and PCs, they are still being sold. But what's happening is they're being bought from Russia, they're being sent into Crimea, and then the knockoff stores are then um, off-selling them like that. So they are technically still Apple brands, but it's not being sold from an Apple store. I think it's like a new store or something like that they called it. Pest store. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so all I could find just then on that was that uh, this is uh, Bloomberg News. They were saying that uh, just large multinational corporations aren't doing business uh, on the peninsula. And that includes like McDonald's, uh, Radisson Hotel. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of that one. Yeah, no. me neither. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of it. And uh, there's one mobile telesystems that they've all uh, shut down their, their businesses there. But when it comes to what Andre was saying, the reason so many of these knockoffs are popping up is that um, shop owners, uh, especially one, there was a, uh, they spoke to someone from a, sh- a coffee shop called Starmarks, and they said that the owners of the Starmarks coffee shop say that they think sanctions make it unlikely that Starbucks Corp will come after them for copyright infringement. So because of all the issues with these sanctions, they're just figuring, hey, we can just rip, rip off all these names and logos and they're just not going to come after us because they're not going to be bothered. So I'd, I'd say that's also playing a role. It might, it might not just be like the large corporations changing things. The other you know, small businesses are trying to work off their the, the large reputations. But what's interesting about that to me is that, you know, ultimately if, you know, this could progress, I guess, to the idea that Crimea becomes another area for copyright infringement where software and everything is suddenly available because there's no, like, law to protect against it or whatever that is. But surely what, you know, in the idea that, you know, I guess Russia has says that they now control Crimea, then aren't they liable to the, to the global companies for any of these infringements regardless? Just because it's, you know, happening in Crimea... Um, I don't, you know, like it's, it's either, it's like someone's got to be responsible for it in the end, right? 
Yeah, that's true. It's interesting with the sanctions of how people have been able to get around it. So, like, for example, both MasterCard and Visa no longer operate in Crimea, and Russia has had to implement its own payment system called uh, Mir or World, which the peninsula only fully transitioned to in 2018. Now, this payment system is great. You can't use it globally or online, but it's quite. But you can use it in popular Russian-occupied territories such as Abkhazia and South Ossetia, and you can use it in Armenia and Vietnam. But can you use it in Russia? Uh, yeah, like, you can use it in Russia, but, like, that's yeah. the only places you can use it internationally, in quotation marks. Um, but, so what many Crimeans have done to get around this is they will either travel to mainland Ukraine or more effort into mainland Russia and open up a bank account with a registered bank in those areas and then just go back to Crimea, and the card still works because it's registered outside of Crimea. But that's, like, so crazy to me. That's something that, you know, you'd think that everybody needs, MasterCard, Visa. How are you going to buy things online or, you know, buy things anywhere? But, like, that's not even the only thing that's limited. That's not the only thing that's limited in Russia. Like, um, we've mentioned all of these these fast food companies or these um, telecom companies, but even the Russian governmental organisations and institutions are still being... Um, limited like they don't even have Russian posts or Russian railways like two things that make a country function aren't even like allowed in Crimea like it's just how are you supposed to how are you supposed to live without you know sending your mail or um catching a train catching well, a train yeah it, um I think the way they get around it is that they kind of have like a stopover just before Krem, really, and that's where they do all their exchanging. But it makes life so much difficult because, from Russia's perspective, it's you're sending um, or like you're traveling from one place to another in their own country, but they're having to go through two different uh, Company. companies just to get there. So they're having instead of instead of just taking the I mean, it's the Russian train uh, railway. So you can get a train from Moscow to Sevastopol. Yeah, but you have to do a stopover. But it isn't even via Russian railways. It's like a third company that goes. It's like really weird. And then like Crimean Railways does go into mainland Russia, but it's just in Krasnodar on the other side of the Kerch Strait. Yeah. And then that's that's the extent of their train line. Like it's crazy. I mean, it really just shows you the price of occupation. I mean... Like, all these things are fitting square pegs into round holes for no reason other than the fact that you've done this. You've basically taken someone else's land and you've, you know, decided to, you know, try to try to live with these sanctions and, and it's obviously not very practical for the people living there. I mean, the other thing that's interesting is talking about, back to what you said, Alex, around the banking, that some are actually choosing to, to keep their Ukrainian bank accounts open or going across to Ukraine to open new bank accounts and have those Visa or MasterCards or... Um, other access to normal types of um, money uh, or financial uh, transactions is it's interesting to think is that a real good way that Ukraine can kind of restore some mind share and control over over Crimea because if everyone's keeping their money in the Ukrainian economy that's a positive yeah because money's still going in and out of the economy the other question I had with that though is like what happens to people's pay like it's one thing to open an account in Ukraine but do you, Crimean businesses still let you send your paycheck to a Ukrainian bank? So from what I saw, um, Radio Free Liberty like did a whole expose on this in um, August of this year, and they said that 
like Crimea itself only has six banks, whereas before the occupation, there were 70 operating banks in the peninsula. So the what they do is the pay comes into the bank account and then most of them transfer it out pretty quickly and they only leave like a little bit. So you can do kind of everyday spending. But because um, these banks run by the Russian government, obviously heavily controlled, while like in Ukraine, you still have personal freedom. So you can kind of do more with your money anonymously. So last thing, what do you think this tells us about the whole Crimea situation? Um, I mean, that just shows you how important maintaining sanctions against Russia for the occupation of Crimea are. And uh, the more painful and cumbersome the occupation is, the more likely that Crimea will be returned to Ukraine in future. news this week. Despite being down 13 players due to coronavirus and injury, Shakhtar Donetsk beat Real Madrid 3-2 in the UEFA Champions League. President Zelensky held his annual State of the Nation address in the Vohovna Rada. During the speech, the president quelled rumours that the military budget would be cut. Iran has agreed to assume full responsibility for the downing of Ukraine International Airlines flight PS752 and pay equal compensation to all victims. On October 19th, the Darnitsa District Court in Kiev ordered the removal of information about Viktor Medvedchuk from the book The Court Case of Vasil Stuff and banned its distribution until this chapter is cut. However, this prohibited chapter was immediately published on the internet to combat censorship and the remaining copies of the book sold out within an hour. Let us know which stories you'd like to hear by reaching out to us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Join us next week for more Yuki Life Abroad content.